Watch it, boys racing. Yeah, we got and go hot. And go hot. Very good. The Paddler's Pod with Sam and Macca. Let's go, Macca. Are you ready? <laughs> Short and sharp. We're back. I was a little bit concerned that you wouldn't turn up to this point of this commitment <laughs> that you would made. Rightio. Given the way your past week has turned out, but look, we'll chat about that in just a moment because for now it is hello and welcome to the Paddlers Pod. My name is Sam Jordan. As well as now is routine, we're back into the rhythm. Joined by my co-host Mackenzie Heinard. Macca, how are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. It's good to be back. It's a uh, surreal feeling to uh, be here two times in a row. We'll find out uh, later on in the episode how I have a tendency to not turn up to things, but for this thing, it's quite important. I make sure I attend on time. I like that suspense. I like that cliffhanger because you're right, we do have a little bit to chat about in this episode. We are talking racing in Australia. One of our favourite, one of the Paddlers Pod's favourites has declared he's ready to set out on an unbelievable expedition once again. And we'll also be chatting with Jackson Collins. Wow, hasn't he taken the ocean racing world by storm in the past two years? He's the current Australian surf life-saving ski champion as well. And he's chasing down his Olympic dream. Plenty on his plate at the moment. So we're going to have a chat to him about how he's managing all of that. But Maka... Before we get stuck in, how are you managing your workload? We were talking on the last episode that you were back into training, back in the boat trying to get fit again. What's the update? Yeah, mate, it's not easy. I could sit here and tell you <laughs> that it's all it's all gravy. Having three months off and not doing a single physical exercise um, is not ideal and I don't re- recommend it regardless of how fit and fast you think you are or how young you think you are. I think a few people could have told you that before you took the break, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, yeah, I probably should have listened, eh? Shouldn't have put the blinkers on. But things, look, I'm trying to get fit quick. And unfortunately, it doesn't really happen. And, you know, everyone says, like, oh, you're still young. But in truth, like, I am young, but I'm not getting any younger. Um, mm. Each year it gets harder and harder. You wake up with a sore back where you would normally just, you know, waltz on through and it's fine. Wake up sleeping on the wrong side of the bed. There are so many middle-aged men who are sitting there just shaking their heads and laughing right now. Like, Maka, you have got no idea what is coming. I know. Jeez, I might have to might have to retire sooner than I thought. Maybe this comeback thing isn't really for me. Oh, you'll be right. As for me, thanks for asking, you rude prick. Um, no, I'm going yeah, right pretty well, now. thank you. I am just getting ready for the Australian Surf Lifesaving title. So plenty of sharp work at the moment you know when you do a two minute and it feels like it's the uh, the longest kind of effort you could do that well i'm gonna have some problems when i get back in the ocean boat but we'll (laughs) wait we will put those off for now because until then maca we're back in the podcast studio let's get stuck into our power plays hey let's do it the peddler's pod power plays once again, brought to you by a favourite here at the Paddlers Pod, and that is Kobe. We are stoked to have them back on board as our sponsors of this episode of the podcast. Number three. It's on again. They called him crazy the first time around, and now no <laughs> doubt we're going to be saying the same about the second because Cyril Deramo has once again set a date to paddle from San Francisco to Hawaii. It was well documented, his attempt last year making that crossing. He got about one week in before he had some technical issues that couldn't be overcome. But now, 
He's ready to go once again. Maka, we continually speak about these paddlers who are out there taking on these unbelievable feats of endurance. Bonnie is obviously more... Well, Bonnie's more than halfway around Australia now in her trip, which is yeah. just unbelievable. I actually saw today, not that we want to date the podcast, but I saw at the time of recording today, she's going to paddle from sunrise to sunset, more than 120 Ks. So... She's out there doing that. We've got Richard Kohler, who's preparing to go once again from South Africa to Brazil. These paddlers are just insane. I was just laughing about a two-minute effort. <laughs> yeah, you talk about middle-aged men calling me uh, pussies. <laughs> These guys are going to be laughing in your face. They're paddling 2,000 kilometres and north. Well, Bonnie, well, well north, eight times north of that. And I think once they set out on the journey, all is forgotten in a way. But it's only when you stop and realise and actually, like, I've been following Bonnie quite at length. And, like, I'm in it, but I'm also outside of it. And you're like, oh, you know, big feet. But, like, it is a massive feat. Can you imagine paddling from sun up to sundown every day and you're on your own? Well, I mean, it's good. I saw she was in Perth and she got the whole, you know, Indian Ocean Paddler crew to jump behind her and they all enjoy it. So there is pockets where, you know, you're seeing friends and paddling with people but there is also going to be a lot of alone time out there and I think you know sitting here in the comfort of our little self-made podcast studio we don't realize the feats that are going on and you know when you you look at Cyril and Richard who Collier looks like he'll take off later again with a date unknown but you know they don't have anyone and geez I, I the whole mental aptitude of that We've spoken about it before. I don't know if it's for us. I mean, I, I can't do a day without seeing friends become miserable. Certainly not for us, Marco. So Cyril has declared that in just under 10 weeks now, he's going to be setting out for Hawaii in a crossing that he's hoping will be taking him around 70 days. The big thing that he had to get sorted between his last attempt and this latest crack is that the sea anchor. There were big issues with the sea anchor last time, and he's made plenty of modifications to it. So... The big one, I believe, is that there is now a float at the end of the chute, so it's going to keep that sea anchor line away from the rudder, which did cause plenty of headaches last time. So he's done his homework. He said he needs a little bit more time on the water before he sets off, but yeah. <laughs> you want to hope so. Less than 10 weeks now, Cyril will be setting off for Hawaii. Number two. Now, listeners... I don't mean to scare you. <laughs> there is something spooky going on the Gold Coast at the moment and it concerns three of our favourite paddlers. I don't want to say the C word. And no, that's not that rude one. I'm talking about a curse. Because I'm worried sick about the Gold Coast paddling boys up there because all three of them, Corey Hill, Tom Norton and our very own Mackenzie Heinard, failed to get to the start line of the Chucky. It went back a little bit earlier into race week. Tommy Norton, unfortunately, coming down with the dreaded cough. I hope I'm allowed to announce it on the podcast. I did see that Ocean Paddler declared it on their Facebook page. So Tommy's all right. He's, he's on the men now. Corey had a really bizarre one, Mac, that I'll get you to speak through. But before we get there, what on earth happened to you on race day? Because you were in Sydney you had the car loaded, boat was on the roof, you were ready to go, but you did not make it from Wollongong to Sydney to the start line. 
talk about c words and i'll say not the swear word uh, just a calamity oh it, it, everything just went wrong for me Corey will touch on it a little bit later he unfortunately you know rang me well might as well touch on it now he rang me on thursday night and i was in bed and he's like mate i'm a 50 50 chance and i was like what do you mean of going He's like, yeah, yeah, this bursitis, um, which is like the inflammation of the fluid sac on the elbow, has just erupted and he's been on antibiotics for the last couple of days. This is, you know, the couple of days preceding the event. And he's like, it's not getting any better. Um, you know, the doctor, a family friend of his had asked him to draw a circle around the inflammation area before he went to bed to monitor the size increase or decrease waking up after a night's sleep. And he's, he's like, obviously woken up, not just going off feel and he's like oh it feels better and um lani his wife was like mate it's not better that thing's huge so he rings me on friday he's like oh, i'm getting my last supper i gotta go check myself in the hospital so he went in the hospital on an iv drip trying to fix that on friday and so i was going to travel down with him we we're just going to hang out for the day and then i was actually going to stay at your place sam which he kindly offered he wasn't able to go and i was like oh god i'm still going to go but you know instead of traveling halfway you know across sydney harbour from the airport public transport to stay with you know no one at your place i mean if you had been there i would have done it in a heartbeat but i was like oh it's just as much time to um to, to go down and see my family who you know i've caught up briefly when they came to summer surf events and i bossed them around telling them how to help me run them <laughs> but that was about the extent of it and my brother and i and my parents hadn't actually been at our family home together since um the middle end or the end of 2021 so it's been quite a time sorry 2020 i should say so it's been quite a time since we were all at home and i was like oh, okay i'll go home the night before went home cool great to see everyone um you know we'll get up at you know leave here at seven o'clock from wollongong dad's driving up just like the good old days to sydney we used to go and race when we were young whippersnappers and we didn't have a license you know you get your parents to drive i'll sit in the passenger seat and we're sort of 20 minutes out of wollongong and the car just goes into limp mode going up a uh, a hill and that was the end of it it was like I tried, exhausted a few other avenues on people that may be coming past from Wollongong, but the Wollongong paddlers love to get there at the crack of dawn as early as they can. <laughs> so there, that was, you know, that wasn't happening. And the only other option was Hannah Minogue, which, you know, for the first time ever, she was there early. She's like, oh, I'm already in Sydney. And I was like, oh, well, that's it. And Dad was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know what? It's not meant to be. Talk about a curse. This race just might not be for me. The first time I went, I booked the wrong flight and it was when the race started at 12 o'clock and it was the morning of and there was no other available seats on a flight down so I just had to get the bus back from the airport on the Gold Coast. Then the next time I raced, uh, we started behind. We were last to start like some of the races and I actually had to help a girl that was in trouble and struggling to remount so I sort of sabotaged my own race but morally I thought was the right thing to do and then this time I haven't even been able to get to the start line. So... That's three times, three times unlucky, I guess you'd say. Wow, what an ordeal, Macro. And I'm not just talking about the series of events, but fuck, what an answer as well. The guy can tell a story, can't he? <laughs> wow, Mark, it's so. Um, it's about incredible. the only time I get to talk on this thing. <laughs> Mate, it was. Uh, I was. I was very disappointed for you because I know that you were looking forward to getting a check on how you were travelling against the rest of the uh, the field, who have been paddling incredibly quick. I don't even remember Macro if I actually said we were speaking about the Chucky in the intro to all of that. But yes, we're speaking about yeah, the, no, Chucky, you're probably right. the second round of the Australian Ocean Racing Series. So yeah, unfortunate that Macca couldn't be there. 
incredibly unfortunate that Corey Hill couldn't be there either. I was really looking forward to seeing how Chile is paddling at the moment. Mac, just quickly on Corey, what's the update? Is his elbow going okay now? Is he on top of it? Well, by the time we uh, release the podcast, I'd like to think he's out of hospital, but at this present time, he's had to return to hospital to have a further drip put in. Um, They sort of released him a little bit earlier than... I think, you know, he anticipated or they anticipated and they thought oral antibiotics would do the trick. You know, it's one of those things with health, you know, you can only know so much and then there's a level of uncertainty and unknown. So, you know, he's, he's gone back in. He'll be on the mend in a couple of days. I think it's just the fact of putting together good weeks and then having to stop and putting together good weeks and, you know, racing starting back up and the serious and the pointy end is coming and everyone's really ramping up. So you don't want to be behind the curveball. You want to be in front of it. And these things are just, you know, a little bit of a step backward or a hurdle to get over, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And no doubt the same for Tom Norton as well, who is, look, he may by now be recovered from his little bout of COVID, but the Chucky robbed of three of its star paddlers this past weekend. But I tell you what, there was still plenty of firepower on that start line. And that is going to be our number one. one. The Chucky moved to a new time slot of the year. Normally it's held a little bit later coming into summer. This year it was brought forward to March. And the race did not disappoint. Some of the best paddlers in Australia going head-to-head over what was a shorter course than planned. Dean Gardner, the race director, opting to use a two-lap course that had a little bit of everything. It had some headwind, it had a great downwind section, and it had plenty of speed because all up it was only about 10 kilometers. In the men's, it was Jackson Collins taking the win in his first ocean ski race of the year over Sam Norton, who it must be noted, was now paddling a fend for the first time in his career. And in third place was former guest host of the podcast, Mitchell Trim. Those three broke away early and were quite tight. In the women's, it was another classic battle between Danielle McKenzie and Gemma Smith. And it was D-Mac, the former world champion, who got the nod over Gemma in that one. Hannah Minogue, Mac, it paid off her getting to the race early. She took third place in that women's race. Mate, it's hard to know where we'll start. I think we'll go with the men to start with because there's plenty to talk about after the race as well. So, Mac, you wouldn't know this. I barely knew either because I wasn't there. But basically the way it worked was that there was a boy 500 metres off Fisherman's Beach and there was plenty of speed spread out across the line. The boy's going absolutely ballistic to get to that first turn. And pretty quickly, it was Jacko, Sam and Trimmy who broke away ahead of Riley Fitzsimmons and Oscar Jones, among others. There was Jim Walker, Luke Morrison, and Greg Tobin, and that whole next generation of Newport juniors as well that came through there to round out that top 10 by the end of it. But those three paddlers essentially broke away early and and didn't really look like getting caught. So they finished that first downwind section. They had to punch three Ks into the headwind back up towards the top of Long Reef Point where that top turn was. And it was a bit of cat and mouse. All three of them have said that no one really wanted to lead. No one wanted to put the foot down too hard. Trimmy said that he eventually went, uh, I don't really want us to get caught by Riley and Oscar Small. <laughs> I'll make sure I go. Jacko explaining in an article that is now up on the paddler.news, and there is plenty to speak about out of that, but he did explain in that moment that he wanted to get to that last downwind section first. He did that. He managed to hold off Sam Norton, who was coming hard, and then he paddled in his own water back to the finish. So Jacko Collins finishing... Less than 20 seconds ahead of Sam, 
who finished 10 seconds ahead of Trimmy. From there, it was about 30 seconds back to Riley in fourth and Oscar Jones in fifth. Macca. Wow, that was a bit of a mouthful, spitting all of that out. But Macca, my question... I know, talk about you think that I talk a lot, eh? I think that was only about a minute, though. I don't think it was the four minutes about the broken down car. Macca, (sighs) my question for you is this. Jacko Collins, who hadn't paddled in an ocean ski since 20 beaches, he says... How impressed are you that he can jump back in it after paddling all of his work in the kayak and get the nod over two of the best paddlers in the country in Sam and Trimmy? This is going to be a long word, a long-winded answer, I think you want, Sam. Oh, okay, buckle up. I thought back and how I said that I was going to be, I may be overcritical on the way people run events now, and I do apologise. I know Dean probably won't listen. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm more than happy to... Uh, to throw some fire, and I guess that's something I'm going to do for the remainder of the podcast, I reckon. We're here to have a good time, and also, you know, we're, we're here to be an unbiased opinion. But... Is that our mantra? Okay, I like that mantra, though. If it's not our mantra, it can be. <laughs> it's, it's what's happening now. So they did revise the course. It was meant to be 16, and then it changed to 13 and a half. Now, the actual race was 8.8K. I don't know how or why that happens, but it is a drastic difference that someone has measured wrong. And I'm not saying that I'd complain if the race was shorter. It obviously was, you know, a little bit disappointing for me to travel a long way around. And Corey wouldn't mind me saying that, you know, he thought that as well. Like, you know, an 8K race that takes, you know, 38 minutes isn't really what we train for on the ocean paddling world. It's sort of not why, what we do. And there's a few races like the Bridge to Beach that would go for that distance. And it probably goes for a little bit longer. That's just the nature of that. From a, and it's you know starts at one point, finishes at another. So, to answer your question, the course favoured Jacko immensely. There was a lot of strength in it. The downwind section was only about seven minutes, depending or ten minutes, seven to fifteen minutes, I guess, depending on your level of skill and expertise. But not a long time in the downwind section. Um, a lot of uphill grinding, which. Jacko's proved himself time and time again to be one of the best at that. And I know he hasn't paddled much in a uh, in an ocean ski, like you said, since the 20 beaches, but you know he has been doing enormous amounts of work in the kayak. And paddling is transferable. You do lose a little bit of grunt, not that I can speak from too much experience, but you know the outside looking in, you see some of the best surf ski paddlers take up kayaking and you know their technique improves, but that, that grunt seems to dissipate in a way because it is so technique focused but look i think jacko is an extremely extremely determined and also um an extremely skilled paddler that's proving himself time and time again and you know he's obviously fighting for olympic selection and and looks like he'll get there so i probably thought that jacko might blow everyone out of the water if anything i'm surprised that sam and trimmy were able to hang on well well I like that. Fuck, you've had a bit to say there. All right, I'm going to jump in on the course one for just a moment, Macker, and I'm actually going to say of a field of about 150, now for the elite paddlers at the very front, I have to go all the way down to uh, definitely 14th, Cade Barnes, maybe 13th. I don't know if Trent Martin's going around at Aussies to find a paddler that hasn't been training for surf life-saving races at the moment. That whole top 12, all of them geared towards racing at Aussies. So for you, Mac, I say, well, why would the series want to have a much longer course at the moment when all the people that are lining up to race it competitively are actually training for three-minute races at the moment? That's fine. I just wouldn't release that it's a 13.5k course and then it turns out to be eight. 
Mm, good point. All right, I'll take that. Look, Mac, we'll push on as well because I want to have a chat a bit more about Jacko because that is his first ocean ski race of the year. It is also his last ocean ski race until at least August. Jacko telling the Paddler.news, which again, another plug, you can read that article now. It's actually pretty good. He was quite open about the fact that he isn't going to get back in the ocean ski again until after the kayaking world championships because of how much he is committing himself to trying to get to the Olympic Games. Now, for me, I kind of thought at the time that we were chatting that, hold on, if he's going for the Olympics, then what's to stop him from not lining up in another ocean ski race until after 2024? But he says in that interview, and no doubt he will say in the interview we are about to have with him, that he's committed to doing as many ocean ski races towards the end of the year as possible. He's already highlighted a few international courses that he's going to be taking on. So, Look, Jacko making the decision to just to put the ocean ski boat in the rack for a little while, and he will be back later on. Mac, before we move on to the women's, I do want to point out a couple of things. One, Sam Norton in a fan. That guy's been on an epic for pretty much, if not his entire career. That one came out of the blue. I didn't even know. Did you know that was happening? I actually ran with Cotter on the Friday, the day before the race, before I flew out. Um, Just a little jog, and yeah, he informed me that Sam had told him that he was going to be jumping on a fen for the race. Mm. In Cotter's words, he's like, well, you'll find out if it's the ski pretty quick. Well, he certainly had a good result for that. He did. Mitchell Trim in third, another impressive result to be, he's getting better with every race. So to his Riley Fitzsimmons, even though he was about 30 seconds off that pack, he's going to be better for that experience. Missed the jump start. We can't let him live that down. Jumped in one side, fell out the other. Oh, really? What's happened there? Yeah, yeah. Couldn't couldn't land his ass in the boat. In one side, out the other. For someone who has won an Australian ski title, a world surf life saving ski title, you'd think he'd be pretty waxed at that. But uh, things still to be learned. Well, why not just throw a leg over? Double leg. Mate, I, I, I know you like doing a jump. I do a jump when I'm not fit enough to actually contest in the race. But like... <laughs> Why not just throw a leg over it? Okay, it maybe slows you down by two seconds, but that's the exact thing you want to avoid because those top three sped away and that was pretty much the race sorted. Mac, Jim Walker in sixth place. Yep. That yep. is huge. huge. Jim is a he's almost a caricature of himself at times. He's got such a loud personality. We love to have fun with Jim. We love to have fun at Jim at times. But, mate, <laughs> that is a sensational paddle. He's 10 seconds off Oscar in fifth. Like, the guy's in the over 50s. And he's only a one and a half minute of Jackson Collins. Like, it is massive. It's huge. He, he beat Luke Morrison and he beat Greg Tobin. Murray got second at the bridge to beach. Tobin got third at 20 beaches. Like, that is, I think, without knowing what happened before I was born, I'm pretty sure in saying that's the best ocean ski result of his career, or at least the best performance, because, mate, that's unbelievable. Let's get stuck into the women's race now, because that one was another ding-dong battle between Danielle McKenzie and Gemma Smith. God, they have had so many of them over the years. Yeah. I said to Danielle when I spoke to her that they are by far my favourite rivalry in the ocean ski paddling world, but it doesn't just stop at ocean ski paddling. You see them going head-to-head in surf life saving in the single ski. Not only, you see them in surf life saving in the Iron Woman, Danielle admitting every time that it's ski last or ski first, it's always her and Gemma who seem to be side-by-side. They did it in the mixed double last year, Macker. Of course, you are still the Australian champion for another week oh. of that. You and Danielle getting the nod over Trimmy and Gemma. Mm-hmm. And here they were, pretty much side by side again for this whole thing. They didn't really wash right across the course. Danielle said they just kind of paddled in their own water, drag racing off against each other. Danny got a bit of a jump on the first downwind leg. Gemma pulling her back in. 
And then it kind of came down to the same thing at the end there. Danielle beating Gemma by six seconds. Six seconds. That is so incredibly tight. Tight. To show just how much those two are on the pace, it was three and a half minutes back to Hannah Minogue. Maddie Schmidt, the Canadian Olympian, was there in fourth. And Sasha Torrens, a young paddler from Newport Surf Lifesaving Club, was in fifth. Mac, Gemma and Danielle... Oh, I think some South Africans might get angry at me for this, but they're they're the two fastest female paddlers in the world right now. Look at you throwing in some big calls. I love it. You you're probably right. What they're doing and the standard that they are racing at has never been seen before. If we take out the double skis, a little bit of quick numbers, Danielle was seventeenth overall in that race and Gemma was eighteenth overall. Obviously they were so close together. And mate, they are picking off more and more accomplished male paddlers as well. You look at that, Gemma beating Zach Morris by about 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. That guy's one of Australia's best Ironmen. Dan Collins, Jacko's dad, is a multiple-time Olympian. Like These are incredibly good paddlers that these two athletes are getting the jump on. And, mate, they're getting closer and closer up the leaderboard. You speak about getting closer. The, the person that was right there and they just he just held off on, Simon McTavish, oh. representing Canada at the last Olympic Games. So... You know, no small feat. They're uh, they're coming up the ladder, and we, you and I, need to start paddling. Put it that way. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves getting chicked more and more over. I actually asked Danielle about her rivalry, and I don't. I shouldn't say rivalry, but it is a rivalry between them on the water. They're obviously it friends is. off the water, and yes, I asked her about the rivalry because I, I've never actually asked either of them before whether they're aware of how much they are actually always ending up going head to head like i think it's so many bridge to beaches it's been a sprint and run finish i think it's so many surf life saving races like i'm pretty sure they're on the same way that aussies last year and Gemma got the nod danielle's gotten the nod before that over Gemma plenty of times so and danielle admitted that she said i come home from every race and just lie on my lounge and say to cody my partner they're far out Gemma's paddling fast and they always just seem to be pushing each other to get the very best out of it and they celebrated as well they love the rivalry they have between each other. God, they want to beat each other so much. But I think having these kind of battles is not only driving their paddling to new levels, but it's setting the standard for women across the world to be doing the same. Yeah, you're right. As, you know, collectively, as someone improves, it brings everyone else up because they're forced to improve. Surfscape paddling around the world is growing and you know the female contingent is on the way up and you know if you want to be competitive then you've got to put in the time if not you're going to fall further and further behind and you know with the increase in you know participation numbers there's so many girls that are all vying for these spots and as racing starts to open up around the world there's going to be plenty of opportunities for people to travel people experience these things that we look at young girls in south africa young girls in australia young girls all through europe haven't been able to experience in the past and that's only going to further drive them to want to be better to succeed to race faster to get more opportunities like what we were able to and were gifted to do at such a young age i think that time is just around the corner and something that's really going to motivate and even you know push that level even higher well you see it in every women's sport around the world the more investment the more opportunities that female athletes get the far better they perform like even mm-hmm. in Australia at the moment, we're seeing the NRLW season, that's women's rugby league. They normally haven't had the opportunity that the men have had. They've got a longer season this year. There's more teams, there's more players in these professional environments and the standards absolutely going through the roof. Like it's not rocket science, is it? No. Australian cricket teams are saying they're on track to win the World Cup over there in New Zealand, touch wood, hope I haven't jinxed them. But 
Yeah, so it's good to see that that is now happening in paddling as well. Mac, another racing breakdown here in Australia. We don't want it to be so Australian-centric, but there aren't really too many races, if any, <laughs> happening in anywhere else in the world at the moment. But there will be soon. South Africa's selection for the World Championships, their national titles as well, are happening at the end of April. All of the paddlers over there are training super hard for that one. And, and then we start to come into the North American season as well with a few big races. So it's starting to fire up, mate. It is starting to fire up. And uh, yeah, I'm getting more excited with each episode. So <laughs> congratulations to everyone who took part in the Chucky. We had spoken on the last episode about the meaning and the importance of that. I think the organizers did a great job. Dean Gardner telling the paddler that it was, you know, their best Chucky that they've had. So plenty to look forward to, Mac, including our chat with the champion, Jackson Collins. We will be back with Jacko, the Bulldog, as he was dubbed <laughs> by Men's Morgan on the podcast. We'll have to put that to him. We will be back with Jacko just after this. Just feels right, doesn't it, Macca? It just feels right to have Vicobi back on the Paddler's Pod. Our very first sponsors of the Paddler's Pod we're desperate to get back involved with us once again. They've been such good supporters of everything that we do, not just the paddler, the website, the podcast, but also us as paddlers ourselves. And Mac, there's been some big moves going on over at vicobi.com because they've pushed into the world of accessories. And I tell you what, mate, there's some pretty sensational stuff doing. Oh, isn't it nice? The two big ones that's jumped out to me on top of their usual, incredible, never-ending range of paddling clothes and life jackets is that now they've gone into leashes, which is huge. It's a two-piece calf leash design that, mate, it absolutely looks the goods. It can handle up to 500 kilograms on that load. Makaji, that'll suit you after your bit of shell. <laughs> um, You're waiting for that one. Comes in plenty of bright colors as well, so you can see that tag when you need to release it. But, mate, they've also gone, and this is my favorite of the new accessories range, they've also gone into phone cases. And not just any phone cases, but fluoro phone cases as well, because that is the one thing that I absolutely struggle with. Getting a phone case that is good for paddling, that is watertight, and is easy to see in case something happens on the water. If there was ever a market to market gadgets to middle-aged men, this is it. They love this shit. And so do I, and so do you, and I'm going to be ringing Pat, <laughs> saying like, hey, do you reckon we could... Uh... Sort one of these leashes and phone cases out. Yeah, mate, I need one. I absolutely need one, Patty. I know you're a big listener. We are. Here it is. <laughs> but, uh, look, it's another really good example of the fact that Pat, who is a paddler himself, no doubt he's getting on the water every time he paddles and thinks, huh, what could I make that helps paddlers? He's like, oh, I need a new leash. I need a new phone case. These things can be done in a more ergonomical and practical way, and that is what they're doing. So check it out at vicobi.com. If you haven't already, you can sign up to their mailing list and get 10% off your first order. So there you go. There's a bonus for us all to get online and check out that because things like the leash and the phone case, we didn't actually mention this at the start, but, mate, they're safety basics. Yeah. Far out. You cannot be getting on the water without a phone case now. You're paying 40 bucks Australian to get a fluoro phone case that is going to keep your phone safe and you can run the tracking get on safe tracks and run each downwind you do because god you just can't be too safe anymore mac it's a necessity for every paddler and they've made it even more accessible so get around it and we love it so should you well said mac of vicobi.com for everything that you need well our guest on the podcast today is on his way to doing it all in paddling he's the current australian surf life-saving ski champion 
an under 23 sprint kayaking champion. He's on the Australian senior team this year again. He hasn't won an Ocean Ski World titles yet, but fuck, he's won just about every other race on the calendar at the moment. But Jackson Collins, now you can claim to being a guest on the Paddlers pod. Welcome, mate. Mate, that's going to have to go on my Instagram bio. That's the biggest, that's the big ticket item, isn't it? Once you're on a podcast, you've made it. They're definitely the big four in the paddling world. So, mate, it's an honour to uh, to have you on, especially at a time that you've got so much going on as well. Mate, you're everywhere. Yeah, no, it's a a very busy time at the moment. There's a a lot going on. So it's um, trying to find a bit of quiet time is a rarity at the moment, but it's, it's very nice. We're lucky to track you down, hey? Yeah, yeah. No, any anything for you, boys. <laughs> well, it's hard to know where to start, given that you've got so much going on. So I think to begin with, we may as well go right okay. back to the start and the start of your paddling journey. Speak to us yeah. about how it all began. Um, there's some pretty obvious paddling influences in your life that brought you into the sport. It was all for a bit of fun, really. It was something that I wanted to do because, you know, my dad paddled and my older brother, Jeremy, was paddling as well. So it was... It was more or less just a family thing, you know, and when, when, when I wasn't playing footy through the winter, I'd always jump in a ski and go down and paddle with the group down at North Burley on, you know, three mornings a week and enjoy trying to learn how to paddle a ski. So it kind of just started as a, as a summer hobby just to keep me busy when I wasn't playing footy. And, you know, the only reason I really wanted to go and keep doing it was because my dad and my older brother were always down there doing it as well. I'm glad you brought up the footy. That's obviously a pretty big influence in your sporting career because for a guy who has already achieved so much in paddling, it's pretty remarkable to think that until, I guess, what, only a few years ago, you saw yourself as a, an AFL footy player. Yeah, it was until, until 2018. I was, um, was going to play AFL and make the big bucks. But um, yeah, so since, since 2018, I've been a, been a full-time paddler. Um, but before that, it was it was playing footy on the grew up playing football on the Gold Coast AFL, um, and then did a stint down in Country Victoria um, with a really good Country Victorian team down there in Wodonga, and then from there got picked up by the Sydney Swans and was then on the rookie list for the Swans for a fair few months, and then was um, was medically retired with with knee injuries. I'd hate to be tackled by her. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, I used to used to throw my weight around a fair bit. Can you talk a bit more about that footy and that influence as to how it came about? Because for a lot of people on the east coast of Australia, it's all rugby league, but your dad had an involvement with the Brisbane Lions, right? That's how that kind of that connection first yeah, began. So, yeah, so dad was do dad always had um since he finished kayaking, he had roles in high performance sport. Um he worked with World Rugby for a while, I think. And then he moved back to the Gold Coast and he wanted to find something that was you know, kind of local in that area. I think he did a bit, fair bit of work with the Roosters and the Sharks for a while. So he was kind of looking for something a bit new. And he's actually, he knew Michael Voss, who was the head coach of the Lions at Brisbane Lions at the time. And, um, you know, they kind of got talking and dad kind of said that you know, what he wanted to do and what he what he thought he was capable of. And, and then he got taken on um, as the high performance manager of the Brisbane Lions. So I think he did that role for, I think, it was maybe three years or four years. Yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of how I first started playing AFL because I was playing rugby league before that, and then I was around. I was, you know, Dad every now and then used to take me into the into the sheds after a after a game if they played in Brisbane, and um, I remember one of the players, you know, putting shit on me that, you know, I could never play AFL and you rugby league players can't do anything and 
I thought I'd give it a go and I gave it a go and I ended up actually being right at it. So I made this made the switch. Shame him. Yeah. Do you remember who it was? No, I don't actually. Who, I who don't. I remember I remember I remember I remember Luke Power said something to me. I was quite young, I can't can't remember what he said, but Luke Power was playing for the Lions at, at that time and he said something about rugby league players being big and silly. <laughs> yeah, you certainly, said you certainly that, proved them wrong. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Exactly it was all right. going to plan for you in your AFL career, you know, up to that point. Talk to us a bit about your injuries and how they came about. Yeah, so um, I got told that um, I'm hypermobile in most of my joints, which is, you know, never good when you've got long limbs, which I've got quite long arms and long legs. And when you're playing a sport where the where the ball's on the ground for majority of the time, your, your knees are pretty exposed when you've got long legs. So um, I had... I had um, kneecaps, so patella dislocations quite often um, wow. after the age of, I think, about 16, I think was my first one. Um, and then I kind of just soldiered through it as much as I could, but it came a point where I had to get them, I got them both operated on um, and then come back after that and was told after that that if it, if there were, if it was um, going to happen again after the surgery, then... Um, that was kind of it. There's nothing more you can do. And there's um, quite a lot, lot of damage that will be done if it happens again and continues to happen after that. I was two, I think about two years free of no issues and nothing going on. And um, a preseason game with at the Swans, actually, it, um, it happened again. And then that was that. Was that. Do, do you feel as if the, your career was sort of shortchanged? Do you wish you had more before entering the paddling world and asserting dominance? I do and I don't. I yeah. do and I, I really, I look back at playing footy and I really enjoyed it. It was a lot, it was really good. And it's always fun when you, when you can do it really well. But I always loved paddling as well. It took me a little while to get over the kind of the heartbreak of, you know, that dream of playing AFL and being an AFL player for an extended period of time over multiple um, years was it took a while to, for that sting and that pain to go away but it was very it was replaced really well with this sense of you know you can achieve something really special in this paddling community in Australia and then beyond that if you if you can cut it you can go to an Olympic Games as well. The Olympic Games has always been something that's been pretty clear in your life for those who aren't familiar with Jack on the Collins family we didn't spell it out before but Jacko's dad, Danny, is one of Australia's greatest ever kayaking Olympians. So, Jacko, for you, it's always been something that has been an option for you. Your older brother, Jeremy, is an outstanding paddler himself, an Australian junior champion in the ski. And I'm hearing that your younger brother can paddle a fair bit as well. He's turning a few heads down there in Sydney South. So what has that influence been like for you growing up surrounded by, I guess, essentially elite sport and how much is that wired you, not just as a paddler, but your footy career and you as a person mm. as well? Yeah, I think dad always, based on his own career, but then also what he expected, there was, there was always an expectation of, you know, you're going to be a, a high performer in whatever it is you choose to do. You know, you're going to, you know, I expect you to do it well. And that he always said that that doesn't have to be in sport. You can go and do whatever you wanted to do, but whatever you're going to do, I, you know, you're going to do it well. I was always quite athletic and always outside and playing. I was never any good at school and didn't really want to, didn't really want to be there. And I was always chomping at the bit for school to finish and be able to get the footy training or to get home and kick the footy and 
have a bit of fun. Like I was always, I was always a lot more sports focused rather than anything else. I never really thought about any kind of backup plan or anything after sport until I had my knee injury. So it was always sport. So I knew that I was going to, I was going down that avenue, but it was a massive part knowing that, you know, your dad is this person who's been to four Olympics and has medaled at two and there's one world championships in between. And it's like, well, there's a fair bit, the standard is set pretty high. And then also you you know, when your older brother starts kicking ass in the, in surf life saving as well, and is winning Aussie championships, you know, multiple years in a row in, in all different events. It's, um, you know, the set, the standard is high. Yeah, for sure. How hard has that been to be able to negotiate that as well? Um, initially quite tough initially, but then you kind of, you kind of end up, it, it felt for me and I don't know if it was the same with Jeremy, but for me, it kind of, it moved from having this expect feeling like, you know, you've, you've had this expectation from your dad on you to, well, actually, you know, I, now I want to perform well. It's, it's no longer, oh, I want to perform to impress dad. It's like, well, now, no, I want to be really good and I want to do well because I enjoy doing well. That shifted, I think, maybe when I was about, probably about 16 or 17, that, that kind of shifted to, well, actually, there's a few things that you're really good at and it actually feels good for me when I do well, not just, oh, okay, I've, I've, impre- I've impressed my dad or my dad's happy with how I went. It's, it's like, oh, actually, I've done, I'm actually really happy with how I just did and that felt good doing well. So that, then, yeah. then it, that, it kind of made that shift at around, I think, about 17, I think. You're your own athlete and you have your own aspirations, your own goals that you're, you know, ticking off and boy, oh boy, you're starting to tick them off. Hey, look, what, when did it all start to click for you? Because it seemed like a very quick rise to the top of the sport. Did it feel that way for you or was it, you know, was it a long slog in the background? Honestly, it was a bit of both. It kind of felt like, you know, when I first, when I first stopped playing footy and I told and, you know, dad and I sat down and said, you know, what are your options? What do you want to, what are you thinking about doing? What do you want to do now? Um, we spoke about a few things and I decided that I wanted to paddle. It kind of, he told me that it was going to be this, you know, kayaking's really tough and Jackson, it's hard. It's not like football, you know, it's, it, this is really hard. There's only, you know, in the AFL, there's, there's 18 teams and each team has got a list of 30 plus reserves. Like there's, in, a, in kayaking, there's six, you know, and that's it. There's no more, there's no a few teams of like there's one, one team with six men and you have to be in the top six or otherwise you're not, you don't get to go. You know, he was trying to explain that to me that there's, you know, there's not a lot of room for error. Um, so there was that, I was thinking, oh, far out, this is going to be really hard. And then, and then I kind of, I slotted, I was quite lucky to be able to slot straight into a, into a development program that the AIS were running, trying to transfer people from surf into kayaking. So, which means I kind of got to slot in straight to the men's training with the men's senior group. So I kind of did a winter by myself in 2018 while all the boys were, um, the Australian team was overseas competing. I did that first winter all by myself, paddling out the back of dad's house at um, Burley. And then once they got back and started training again in, October-ish, I, I slotted straight in with that with that group and the training standard was really high and it was really tough. And I was lucky enough that when the trials came around in, in March of 2019 that I performed 
just well enough to be able to make that that first team. It kind of it felt like you know I heard from a few people that you kind of come in that I they, they think I come in and it just that it was like oh Jackson's going to be on the team and blah blah blah. But it kind of it felt like I just scraped in like I just got into that into that training group and I was right at the back end and then I just made it onto that a first Australian team. So it kind of felt like just scraping through for those first you know few months. Well, those sessions that you would have been doing even before you made that commitment to paddling, like I can assume you weren't just getting on and floating around and catching a few waves, like having someone like your dad who knows paddling the way he does, is it fair to say that even those sessions while you were playing footy were always quality paddling? Um, dad always did his best to stay removed from it. You know, I didn't, I was, I'd only ever trained with the group at North Burley, which was coached by Nick Crilly. So not exactly the a terrible person to be coached by when you're not, when you're not even paddling um, properly. So dad always just said, go down and just do what the group does. Just go down and have fun and do what Nick says to do. And, you know, he always tried to stay very removed from it because he knew that paddling at that time was just to be down at the beach and be in the water and try and work on my strength because I never did. I never did gym before I started paddling properly. It was only, I only ever paddled my ski. So just go enjoy go and enjoy floating around so it was always always just that from dad but nick's nick's sessions were really hard like they were tough like he he trained really really hard and those few years that i wasn't fully paddling but i was going down and doing nick sessions those were the years that i think nick went back to back in aussie ski title so you know he was paddling really well there was a good group of guys jeremy was there he was paddling like he won juniors he won 19s and I think got, I think he medaled the year before he won, or I can't quite remember. But you know, the, and then there was a few older guys that were there that were still paddling really well, that were fit and fast and doing good. And you know, Brad Rogers and David Rhodes were with our group as well, and they won the double at Aussies. And like there was there was really good paddlers. So it was training was always hard because it was those old guys were quick. So um, it was a it was a high even there it was a high standard of you know, paddlers in the country. So it was a good, you know, without knowing, it was actually quite a good lead in to what I was, you know, going to throw myself into. The number one question I wanted to ask today and find out the answer to is undoubtedly you're a fucking tough <laughs> when it comes to sport. I don't know. I can, I can definitely say the F word on the podcast. I actually might have to beep out. I don't know if I can get away with that, but yeah, <laughs> where, yeah. when you've raced, you've always raced hard. And Matt, I heard that about you before I even saw you race. I remember Pete Scott saying that to me, a guy who went to two Olympic games with your dad. Where have you had that attitude and that determination from to be able to push yourself to those kind of zones? And is that an influence from your family? Is it from footy? Is it from the surf club crew? Like, can you, can you pinpoint it like that? No, I can't, I can't pinpoint it because my dad is definitely like that. He's definitely tough and old and you know, hard. Um, you know, he's pretty old school. You know, he's very tough. Um, but then the people that I spent a lot of time around with him, like the I grew up around, I like that too. You know, the big influences on me were the same as that. Like Nick, Nick really is like that. You know, he's, his training methods are old school. And, you know, all the things that he does around a surf club to keep everyone in check are old school. You know, he doesn't take any shit. You know, you don't talk back. You, everything's on time. If he says we're on the water at 5.30, you're on the water at 5.30. You know, that's not 5.31 or 5.32. Like, it doesn't matter if you're who you are. You know, I, I heard a story that when I first 
when I joined Karawa for a season before I moved to Sydney, um, that I think I can't remember who told me, but Matt Poole, before he went to Northcliffe, rocked up like it was like two minutes late for ski training, like two minutes, like seriously, two minutes. And this is, you know, a few years ago when Matt Poole was, you know, like, you know, he's high profile now, but he was still like really right up the front. And Nick just paddled off. Like saw him walking down the beach and just got on the water and like got the group on and sent everyone. And said, well, we're not, mate, we're not waiting for you. Like, doesn't matter who you are. We said 5.30. If you're not here at 5.30, we're, we're going. And there was just, you know, standards like that that were set from Nick. And then my dad was like that, you know, very structured and very tough. And, you know, Andrew Trim, who was my dad's K2 partner, who was like a second dad to me, he's like that. You know, he's very tough and very hard and very direct and upfront and has very high standards. So the people that I was spending a lot of time around were very tough. So it kind of, without knowing it kind of was just the expectation that you, that you were tough, that you tried really hard and that you trained hard and you didn't give up and you pushed yourself to the absolute max. And, you know, there was even times when I think I was, this is not when I was paddling, paddling, I was like 16 and Nick would be doing some ridiculous session and I'd just be just hanging on trying to sit on his wash and he'd yell at me to get off his wash because it's bludgeon. Like it's, there was just, there was, there was no give. And that was all, it was always like that. For people who haven't heard the story, sorry to interrupt, of, of those guys back in their time paddling in those senior teams, like, you know, as you would know, Jacko, they used to get off the water and box each other, like quite literally fight yeah, yeah. after training. As part of the session, they get paired up and have to fight. Like, it's a different approach to training. I don't think you quite get away with that now at the, at the no, I don't, think you, I, don't, I don't think you would either. Um, but yeah, it was just a different time. Like, it's just like those guys, they're just, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but like they're just built different. Yeah. Like it was just without even realizing you've sort of answered the question in the way that you are just a product of the environment that you brought up in. And for you, yeah. it's just hard, tough and no bullshit. And I think Sam and I grew up a little bit the same, probably not as tough. Well, like, but fuck. I just remember I tell you what, Mac, we could have we could have done with a few more hard lessons because clearly, clearly we're not yeah, clearly <laughs> we're not winning races. So but yeah. Yeah, like I just remember as a kid, like used to get bullied, you know, especially through surf club, um, which does not go anymore. So yeah, yeah I think without even realizing, and it was quite funny, you know, you came onto the scene, this is before you'd sort of won um, a major race over in WA and one of our good mates, Mackenzie Morgan, who was on the podcast um, as a co-host, who did, was for sort of following the trajectory of y- yourself, um, or almost preceded by doing a couple of knee injuries and then packing up paddling. Um, before doing some pro kick stuff obviously not the same paddler and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying but you know he was very um, impressed and look we won't go into too much detail about what happened in some of the dash for cash events over in Perth that year but just your ability to want to prove to everyone that you Uh, are no hold on hold on fuck that we can go into Macker it's our podcast we can go into detail on it anyway was just about the dash for cash that year and what happened because you and I you and I both got punted from that first round when we didn't go inside yeah. the way that we weren't told about. Yeah, this is the we weren't told about. Yeah, that was that was a um that was actually a really good lesson and a bit of a wake up call to, you know, some of the I don't want to say politics, but maybe potentially favoritism that um that still occurs and you gotta you gotta know that it happens and you gotta, you know, if you if you're not on the inside and one of the favorites, you gotta make sure you do everything right. And, we weren't told about this boy that we 
you know, had to stay on the inside of. And I think you and I, Sam, we both went on the outside of it and we got disqualified. But my, what I, you know, was very upset with was the reason I did it was because the race before, Jamo Porter did the exact same thing in his heat and he got let through. So I watched the one before us and um, he got let through and, so what did you do? So what on did the you outside do? of the boy. Yeah, yeah. So what well, did I, you do? I picked up my ski and walked off the bench because I'm a quitter. Obviously, Sam and, was and never I'm, and I'm not tough enough. But you proved the point. And yeah, well, we're I, laughing about it. But fuck, man, I watched that day and I went, holy shit, this guy's is built different. I'm on the beach going, I don't know how I'm supposed to race this guy tomorrow because I've got problems coming my way. <laughs> yeah. No, so I think that initially I went up and had a few words with Dean and was expressed my um expressed my frustration and upset. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, putting polite, yeah, putting it politely, but um, but then I just thought, you know what, I've got calm down today, knowing that I was going to have, I think it was, you know, I think there was three or four races. I was going to be a heat, a semi, and a final, maybe four. I can't quite remember, but I come down ready for four, so I'm going to do four. And if they won't let me race, and if I've been disqualified, then you know, fuck you. I'll take my shirt off and I'll, <laughs> I'll race. I'll race next to the race. I'm, I'm not. And I'm here, I'm, you know, and it was exactly that, you know, I'm here to, I'm here to prove a bit of a point. I'm ready to go. I want to race. So I'm going to show you that, you know, I am a really good paddler and you've made a mistake by trying to kick me out. And your final is not a representation of the best paddlers that are here because you've kicked me out. You won Very all of them. You won all of them. I yeah, you, you, yeah first, I did. you didn't do the run, which look, I don't know how you were running at the time, but at least at the very least you were first at the beach on all four of them. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I made a, I made sure that I was. Yeah, made sure that I was. Hey, from that point, yeah. he actually he actually announced it on the podcast, um, Mackenzie Morgan, when he was a guest host with me. You're his favourite paddler, and he anointed you on that day. Watching you race on that day, he nicknamed you the Bulldog. And the reason why he nicknamed right. you the Bulldog is because of you ripping your shirt off and looking like a Bulldog. But when you when he, when he, <laughs> he said that he came and had a yarn to you, and you're the nicest bloke in the world. And he said that sums up a bulldog to him. So I guess yeah, I, I guess yeah. the context of that, my question is, right, is that, you know, you unashamedly, you know, like everyone, you're in this to get results and to succeed in what you're putting your mind to. But this world of ocean ski racing also opens you up to so many experiences and meeting so many people around the world. Like moving forward, what is it that you want to get out of ocean ski racing? And how much of it for you is also immersing yourself in the culture and meeting the different paddlers from around the world and because it is a hard balance at times like you know Maka you would know this as well you know we go to all these places where we're trained you know all year to turn up and race but Mac you and I have so many close friends that you kind of get distracted by racing a little bit and you just want to socialize as well like how do you try and figure out that balance? You know, I think I'm in a little bit of a different position to some of those other guys that just do ocean ski full time. I think that since I've been paddling a kayak and there's a few races that I trained, you know, specifically for like, a, like 20 beaches last year, like I trained really hard and wanted to win that race. That was a clear goal of, for, I want to win 20 beaches, which means that I'm going to have to train for that. So I, instead of doing all of my work in my kayak, I did majority of my work in the kayak and then. I, on Saturday afternoon, if it was windy, I'd go and try and catch runners on my ocean ski. But, you know, instead of, instead of being in the kayak again on Saturday afternoon, I'd, I'd jump in the ocean ski, which, 
you know, is kind of pretty frowned upon when you're a, when you're a kayaker, but um, you know, there's, I think it's, it's a little bit different because for me, I put, it's not less pressure, but there's less, well, there is less pressure for me. Like personally for me, I put less pressure on myself going to those ocean ski races because it's, because it's not my main focus. Like my main focus is kayaking that, I can go to those ocean ski races with a bit, you know, it's a bit lighter and it's a bit less intense as much as I want to still perform and I want to win because, you know, I think that I'm very competitive. So I want to win, but I kind of let that, I let my competitive instinct and competitiveness kind of just take over once I get there. I don't, it's not similar, like the same as when I kayak where, you know, I'm, two days before I'm thinking about it and I'm running through it in my head and, you know, I go to bed the night before and I struggle to go to sleep because I'm thinking about it and I feel sick and I'm sweating and it's not the same, you know, it's, you know, it's, I feel a bit, it's a lot more relaxed for me. And it's, and that's to a degree, it makes it a bit more enjoyable as well because, you know, you're pretty relaxed about it and you kind of just get there and the gun goes and then you, you go nuts, but it's not this thing that's, um your main focus so it's not this you know super high nervousness and dread that you feel the same way before i have before a kayaking race but it's massive the connections you can make and the friends you can meet and the places you can travel to it's incredible incredible like i've like i wouldn't have gone to hong kong if i didn't do the dragon run in 29 like i never would have gone like it's not a not a place that you know i would think to go but you know, I've been there and I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that I did because it was beautiful as much as it was stinking hot. It was still a really nice place to go. Like it was still really cool. And there's places that, you know, I can't wait to go again this year. So, you know, I'll be at world championships in Portugal, which you know, I've never been to Portugal and like, I can't wait. Like I'm, I'm going to get to go to a few places this year that I wouldn't have gone unless there was racing there. So it's a sport that can take you all over the world and that, you know, and it's a community of people that you meet and you can make these friends that are, you know, scattered all over. And I think that majority of the people in ocean ski world, um, the ocean ski world, you know, in that community, they're really nice people. They're really good. They just want to be in the ocean and they love paddling and they talk, they're talking about their ski. And you know, a lot of, you know, I worked at, um, did a bit of a stint at Shoreham Partners and a few of those guys there that just like they're a bit older but they just love paddling and they come up and they talk to you about you know oh I moved from this model to this model and you know I think that's a bit narrower like they've got they just love it they just yeah. want to talk about it and it's like I love that because I love paddling and I want to talk about it so it's like it doesn't matter who you are or what level you are it's like, fuck yeah man let's talk about it paddling is great I love talking about all that shit 100%. That's so well said too. And mate, we can't wait to see you back in the ocean ski too. For anyone who hasn't seen the article, head to the paddler.news to see your plans for the rest of the year, focusing on kayaking, being on that senior team until the world championships, but a huge back end to the year as well, which we can't wait to see. We, yeah, we speak about how much we can talk about paddling. We've done a good job of that now. So I can see on the Zoom, we've got seven minutes left. And in that time, Jacko, <laughs> we have to fit in. Yeah, again, another another reveal to the listeners that I haven't bought a Zoom subscription. And you know what? I'm not going to either. <laughs> in that, so in the next six minutes that we have, Jacko, we're going to run through our 10 doubles where we ask the same 10 questions to each of our guests. 
And this episode, it's brought to everyone by the team at Vicobi. So, Jacko, Matt, I know you've got a fair bit of speed in you. Are you ready to take on the 10 doubles? Mate, I am. Hit me with it. All right, let's do it. Question number one. What paddle length and angle do you use? Um, in my surf ski, I'm at my length is 214 and I'm at 70 degrees. And in my kayak, I'm at 221 and at 70 degrees as well. That's a, a yeah. lot more water than I would ever pull. Question <laughs> yeah. number two. What's the fastest kilometre you've ever recorded? Oh, I think it was... Um, I think it, oh, I can't remember, but it would have, I know that I'm not sure where it was, but I've definitely clocked, I think it was a, maybe a 308. Uh, yeah, I don't do a lot of downwind paddling. So when I clock one like that, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Question yeah. number three, what's the furthest you've paddled in one session? Um, before Christmas of last year, I challenged myself because I wanted to paddle a marathon in my kayak. So I think it was a few days before Christmas day, I wanted to smash out 42 and a half or 42.2 whatever a marathon is i um i did that in my kayak at narrabeen feel different far out yeah feel different sort of impressive um question number four i've got double header here your pre-race go-to meal and pre-race pump up song um meal is is usually just a bit of toast or some depends how how far the race is if it's just a small one i'll just just peanut butter and toast but if it's a bit of a longer one, I'll whack a couple of eggs in there as well. But um, song, I think I'm a I'm an ACDC fan. I love to put a bit of ACDC on and blare it. Matt, I reckon there's no coincidence. The only other person who's actually ever said ACDC on the podcast was Clint Robinson. So you're in good company there. Question number <laughs> okay. five, Jacko, what's your favourite race in the world? Favourite race in the world? I think Aussies. Aussies that Sunday morning when you walk down and you know that you're in a final that's high that's on there's nothing like that that's the best I reckon I think Aussie surf for sure it's always an easy one to answer when you're the defending champ yeah that makes it a little bit better as well question number six what's your ultimate racing war story where did it all go wrong oh, like my most painful race you mean the one that was the worst for me yeah, yeah it could be yeah. that or if, if things failed um I think it was one of I think it was my second ever 20 beaches i think the first year i did it it was like epic it was i remember being at the after where where the presentation was people said that oh this is the you know these are some of the best conditions that were ever seen and so i remember i think i did it when first time when i was maybe 17 or 16 and i finished i think what's everyone talking about this thing's this 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 is a main event this was nothing like we just flew down like this was that was easy (laughs) that wasn't that tough but then the following year it was so big and so windy that it got moved to inside the bat, inside pit water. And we raced around, um, we raced around Lion Island. We did, I think, two or three laps around yeah, Lion Island. Low. That was low. And I remember that it was on the second lap um, when we were coming back from the, the back of the island back towards the beach. And um, it was just a crosswind. It was a straight crosswind. I think that I had like this bipolar moment where I would take a few strokes and my shoulders and everything was so my forearms were so sore that I'd take a few strokes and I'd have to drop my paddle and I'm like I physically I cried I remember crying, oh, crying. sitting yeah, I do, there I do a bit of paddle crying. yeah yeah <laughs> I've been there 
yeah, I thought I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna, and then I'd, and then I'd kind of like try and hype myself. Like, Come on, don't be a pussy. Like, fuck, let's go. And then I'd take like four or five more strokes, and then I'd start crying again. And that was just that process went on for I think it was like a two kilometer or three kilometer stretch back to where the finish line was, just in tears. And then I'd try and pull myself out of it, and then tears again. And yeah, it was horrific. But I think that's that is the worst. I look at I can still see Lion Island now. I when I was living in Sydney, I could still see it and oh I get the shivers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Jacko, 90 seconds yeah. to go. Question number eight. Name a friend who's just no good at training. Bad trainer. Far out. Oh don't know. Jimmy yeah, no, Jimmy no Walker at North Bondi. Oh, he's got hang on. <laughs> he's got a fair few of them. He's got a, he's got those boys locked down. There's not many there that don't train well. Um, Jimmy's, mate, he trains harder than what I do. I reckon Pete Mitchell from Avoca. I, I hear that he does. He, I, I hear that I hear that he leaves all his training for the two weeks before Aussies. He'll not do anything at all, and then he'll go and all of a sudden train twice a day every day after from well, from two weeks out. All right, one word answer. Question number nine, Jacko, what do you rate as your greatest paddling achievement? I think winning, winning Aussies, the and single qu- ski. And question number 10, finish this sentence. I'm a paddler because... I love it. And we love that you've taken it up as well, Jacko. You could have been a footy player, mate. We could have been watching you on TV, but I'm glad <laughs> I know. Thank you so yeah, much no, for your time good. on the Paddlers Pod and congratulations on everything you've achieved. Good luck with what's to come, the defence of your Aussie title and a big season overseas in the kayak. No, thank you very much. I can't wait. Thank you very much. It's going to be a great year. In all of that excitement and all of that rush to get to the line before that timer ran out on that Zoom, I should probably look at that. We've actually forgot to ask Jacko who he thinks is the greatest paddler of all time. I rang him back just after the interview to make sure I got that answer. He said... If you look at all of the facts and the stats, you can't go past Clint Robinson, but he is going to go past Robbo and say that his dad, Danny, is his choice. The bulldog. My spirit animal, Macca. He's <laughs> a spirit animal now. We've spoken about Jack on the podcast plenty of times before, and I love the way that he goes about his racing. He's a lovely guy. Isn't you heard he? it there. He's a lovely. He's very articulate, very yeah, well spoken. But when he gets on the start line, he just wants to fucking win. <laughs> and I respect the hell out of that, mate, because he knows how to put himself through the pain to do it, and he has been doing it time and time again. He's proven it. Um, he's proven to be the best. And he, you know, as much as he won't be around for you know some of the races through the middle of the year, we'll definitely be seeing him coming out fighting with that bulldog never say die attitude later in the the end of the season. Yeah, 100%. Mac, got any big calls? You got anything on your mind? You did have a little crack a little bit earlier, so I know that you're feeling particularly controversial today. Maybe you want to get something off your chest. The only thing I've got going for me, Sam, now, and we spoke about is, you know, time and time again on this podcast, is people getting chicked. I'm going to fast forward, and we're going to have to backtrack when the doctor comes around, but my big call is that Daniel McKenzie and or Gemma Smith will finish in the top 25 overall in the doctor. That's now that's a big call. That's massive. I love that. That's potentially that's potentially the fastest female paddle at the doctor we might have ever seen. Because I know that if they're going to go top twenty five, given the depth that will be at the field this year, they're actually going to be pretty close to the front. But Matt, I completely back it. I'm 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 a hundred percent on board with that because the the trajectory is there. The you know the results, the times, the performances, they're all leading towards that. You know, I may fall short and they may get top thirty, but. 
you know, I'm going to have a crack and, you know, I'm sure that's probably, you know, hopefully they hear this, someone tells them about this, lights and fire in the belly and we improve female surf ski paddling yet again. Well, you know what, Mac, I'll keep on the doctor theme. Um, we are a long way out. So we maybe we all forget about this until then, but I'm actually going to go <laughs> ahead and say too, I'm not going to pick the order, but the top two at the doctor will be Gemma and Danielle in the female division. And I know that... You call that big? Oh, come on. Give me a break. <laughs> I, it doesn't sound like a big call on face value, but you need to remember that Michelle Byrne is determined to come across and race the doctor this year as well. We could see paddlers like Hayley Nixon back in the mix as well, that new South African generation that's coming through. It's going to be a stacked field at the doctor. Michelle Byrne is undoubtedly one of the greatest female downwind paddlers there's ever been, especially in wind and swell like that. So... That's going to be a hell of a battle, but I just think what Gemma and Danielle are doing at the moment is pretty unbelievable. So, uh, if anyone, that's it. Episode twenty-seven. Yeah, you'll have to revert back to. Yeah, someone, someone hold us up to that too. If you're listening to this and it's about September or November or something, and you're catching up on that, feel free to shoot us a message. And as for the rest of you listeners as well, I want to hear from you. Yeah, this is pathetic. Yeah, get involved. Get involved. Throw us some requests. Throw us some questions. Actually, you know, I've never done that before. Open us up with some questions because. I know that you're listening. I know that you are listening right now. I see the analytics of the podcast. You're all listening, but none of you are messaging and asking any questions. Give us some feedback. Um, Give us some feedback on this idea too. And Mackie, you can throw it my way right now as well. We're obviously got the Australian Surf Lifesaving titles coming up. We're not a Surf Lifesaving podcast. The Paddler is not about Surf Lifesaving, but... Maybe we do a surf life-saving ski-themed podcast after Aussies and we break it all down because we're both going to be there. You're going to be working. I'm going to be working and racing. Um, and I like having a chat about it as well. So, do you reckon we should do that? I'll get amongst it. I think a lot of people genuinely no no have... Ah, no one likes swimming. It's boring. Yeah, no Go ice. back 10 years. For some of our listeners, the Australian Surf Life Saving titles actually held the record for the largest mass participation sporting event in the world. Bigger than wow. the Olympics. You know, they had 10,000 com- competitors north of over a 10-day window. I like that. Someone from Surf Life Saving Australia is salivating over the fact that you just said Aussies is bigger than the Olympics. That will be the last time I say positive things, but we will, <laughs> <laughs> we will diverse. Um, I-, I like it. And I think a lot of people do have genuine interest. Um, it's an unknown entity that we have all a part of. Surf Life Saving has given me, you, all of our paddling friends, the fraternity something to strive for and also is something that has allowed us to become the people we are like without surf club i wouldn't be here i wouldn't be a paddler i wouldn't have got got into surf ski paddling i think people would like to know how um how it works and you know some of the hot-headed arguments that come about and how the clashing of the paddles around the cans and people copping it to the chin and arguments on the beach it's great some fierce competitive rivalry that you know a lot of people just love. Well said, Maka. So oh, maybe we will. Shoot us a minute. If one single person messages the podcast <laughs> and says they want that podcast episode done, then we will. But until then, Maka, let's get stuck back into our own training and we'll be back in the podcast studio soon. Thanks, guys. We'll chat to you next time. Oh, come on. Give it a bit more life than that. Ah, oh, thank you all for tuning in once again. It's good to be back, Sam. We'll be not far go, around go, the corner for our next go. episode. So <laughs> until go. then, take care and enjoy. The Paddler's Pod with Sam and Macca. <laughs>